Bizzle. We call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, folks. We made it. Number five of five of my top five predictions for The Witcher. Season two on Netflix. Again, these are my big general ones based on the book or books that they will be using in season two for sure. As I mentioned, The Blood of Elves, which is book one of the series saga. Um, And I think maybe they're going to go beyond it. And that's going to be part of this prediction. Um, Just to uh, say it once more, I'm going to do a second predictions podcast, maybe with a guest um, of of five more predictions uh, that are going to be much more far out um, that will involve working in video games, secondary lore, uh, things that it seems the showrunners might want to do for television that might not be in the books at all, but is in the spirit of it, um, bringing in things that happen, quote-unquote, in the future or as happened in the short story books that they haven't worked into the show yet. Um, and so those will be kind of more far-out theories, uh, you know, conspiracy theories, I guess you would call them, uh, and uh, will for sure involve wish fulfillment, stuff that I would want to do. Um at least that would be sort of 50% of it, and then the other 50% reading the tea leaves. Well, these first five, uh, you know, I think is, you know, more like 75, 80%. Not necessarily they're going to happen or happen how exactly how I'm saying it, um, presenting it, but just, you know, the, the reading of the tea leaves for these predictions are almost directly from the book, you know, kind of triangulated with um, what we've seen in the show so far and what they like to do in the show what they like to change and what they like to keep loyal um but this is the one if you have only read the blood of elves the first book of the series saga the series pentology if you've only read that and you haven't read the second book in particular time of contempt or beyond to you know most or all of the uh book series uh the five series books if you haven't read past the first book blood of elves into the second book time of contempt and you don't want to be spoiled on a possible thing that I think could happen in this coming season from book two, um, as opposed to waiting to the third season. So just a, you know, a, a quick refresher. Again, the first season was the short two short stories, Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, which were written first, but essentially are prequels to what became the series Pentology, which is sort of the main high fantasy Lord of the Rings-esque you know, series um, of The Witcher, um, which is what they'll be working on from now on, um, working with from now on. And, you know, it would seem to make sense, uh, you know, to do one book per season, five more seasons, uh, which I think was their original intention. But since then, they've announced numerous other seasons, things that happened thousands of years ago, an animated series about the history of the witchers um and they've even been hinting very strongly about working in video game stuff which is smart as hell um not only because a lot of us got into this through the video games but because there's just great lore um and even though the video games technically take place after all the movies nevertheless there's some stuff um thematically visually you know in terms of the fighting and the violence and the magic and so forth uh, that they take more liberties with in the video games, um, but that it seems Andrei Sapkowski, the writer of the books, would be fine working in if it's done the right way. Um, and so with all of those factors, um, I don't know if it's 
going to be quote unquote only five more seasons um i could definitely see more than five more seasons if it's super popular like how game of thrones got but i could also see it be less than five more seasons potentially three or four and this is uh, where my fifth uh and final prediction for today lies which is that i believe uh, that the, the this next season is going to yes have blood of elves book one of the series saga but is going to actually go about halfway through the second book as well before the end of the season, um, that book being The Time of Contempt. So, last warning, spoilers of things that happen in the second book of the series saga, Time of Contempt. And uh, thank you for joining me if you have to leave now. Otherwise, stick around, and uh, here comes the prediction. All right, so... As I hinted strongly there in the preamble spoiler warning, and I've been sort of hinting throughout this entire podcast, and I've mentioned in the past, I used to think they were actually going to combine all of book one and book two into one season, but with only eight to ten episodes per season, that's a little bit of a tall order. But um, I'm feeling more and more strongly based on sort of the momentum of the series how fast they want things to move, and the fact that while the Blood of Elves is amazing character study um, with Ciri and, and the, her various protectors slash teachers and Geralt and the Witchers and Yennefer and Triss, of course, um, and then we have the big adventure with the dwarves and the battle um, and, and so forth that they barely survived that I mentioned in uh, number four uh, a couple minutes ago. The battle with the dwarves is not exciting or big enough um, of an ending to a series like this uh, of a season. Um, it's season two, but it's, again, the first season from the book of Siri, the Siri saga, the Siri pentology. And, you know, the fact that the, the, episodes seven and eight in season one, they ended with the huge magic uh, battle um, between Nilfgaard and the North, people of the North, with Yennefer and the sorceresses trying to defend the people of the North against the Nilfgaardians and, and their mages, um, the Battle of Sodden, as I've talked about on the podcast, um, which, you know, you may have heard, or if you haven't listened to my Witcher podcast, maybe you've heard elsewhere or haven't, which is that the Battle of Sodden, starting in the upcoming book, The Blood of Elves, is talked about a lot, and we know that it happened when and where they happened in sort of the chronology of the story that we saw. Um, but it's not actually described in, in sort of the present day in the book the way they do in the show. Meaning, while seven episode seven and eight of season one is divided between, you know, Siri escaping the forest and finding a new home temporarily where she, she can be safe, um, Geralt uh, really starting to lose, you know, hope and faith and in, in, in himself and humanity and almost dying and having a vision and seeing his mom uh, who comes to help him and confronting his past and then, of course, you know, finding Siri at the very end. Um, and then the third, of course, is Yennefer and, and the Enchantresses fighting. In the books, it's just those first two. It's just Geralt and Ciri um, trying to find each other in different ways um, and not sure that they're even alive. Uh, Ciri hoping against hope, and with her dreams, she's holding out hope that Geralt's alive. He's basically lost hope at that point um, because he, after their uh, journeys in Brokilon Forest in the books, which does not you know, reoccur, uh, or not occur in that way in, in the TV show, she goes back home, and then Sintra burns to the ground, and so Geralt is, you know, convinced that she must be dead, and that he screwed up by, you know, not taking her 
um, immediately after their uh, adventures together in the forest. Um, but they do find each other in the end, um, and fate brings them together um, when he helps the wagon driver. And it happens that the wagon driver's wife is the one who adopted Siri, and uh, invoking the law of surprise once more, Geralt's able to get Siri. And they have the big hug at the end of the book, just like at the end of season one of the TV show. This all being to this, this is all to say that they felt like they needed to have a giant battle Game of Thrones style at the end of season one, which I am fine with by showing us the Battle of Sauron. And this is, if you listen to my commentary, I, I'm not only okay with it, but I was glad they did it because you know there's a lot of stuff in The Witcher that we hear about after the fact, but we don't actually see or I guess read. And so you know, doing the giant battle that did happen at that time when Ciri and Geralt were in the places that they were um, in both the book and. and and, um, you know, the pretty loyal retelling of their places in, in the series in those later episodes of season one. We know that the Battle of Sodden happened. We know that Yennefer and the Enchantresses, many of them gave their lives, were injured, almost died like Triss. You know, I think like 13 or 14 of them actually did die. Um, and uh, it was a big sacrifice from, from sorceresses who don't normally help the common folk. Um, but it was able to push back Nilfgaard's advance, um, the, you know, the evil Nilfgaard from the south. It push back their advance for a couple of years essentially and so you know this isn't a, a spoiler again you guys have read Blood of Elves if you're this far but of course there's a two year time jump where they get Ciri to Kaer Morhen she grows up a little bit starts to become a woman they're training her in the Witcher ways and all I talk about with Triss where Triss comes and teases her how to be a woman and sort of dresses down the, the Witchers a little bit for not you know giving her you know space for her womanly needs um, and wants occasionally at least and you know training her too hard and but also recognizing that her her you know super powered magic can't be controlled and they need to get her somewhere um where it can be controlled of course then the voyage uh with the dwarves uh Yarpen who we we've already met in both the book and the TV series the crazy dwarves uh on the, the dragon uh mission uh episode 6 of the series um and uh, I guess in the sort of destiny I think the first I think the dragon story with Yennefer and so forth and the dwarves and the bad men are, is the first story in the Sword of Destiny. Um, and, uh, but now he, he, he's, you know, as crass as always, but he's a good guy and they have to work together and they get injured and, and, and all that stuff. And, and Geralt wants to get Ciri to Nenica um, at the temple of, um, oh, I always forget what the temple's called. Uh, the temple where Nenica is, is called Elendor. Um, uh, and th- that was established in the short stories. Uh, that's actually where Carol and Dandelion are kind of hiding out as they recount the tales that they went through. So in those short story books, you know, it's it, we're hearing about the early days of, of Carol and Dandelion's adventures and misadventures together, um, but we're also seeing them in the quote-unquote present or closer to the present of, of the series saga um, as they're, you know, hanging out and recovering at, at Temple of, El- um, of Ellen with Nenica, who's a great priestess character who, you know, likes the two of them against her, her better judgment, even Dandelion. She has to admit that she likes, and she can't understand why. Um, and so, of course, that would be someone they would trust. But again, like with Triss, it doesn't end up being a place where Siri can be trained. It's not enough. She's a priestess, is Nenica. And uh, it's not that she has no magical powers, or at least knowledge of magic, but it, it's clear that Yennefer is the one, and the book ends with, you know, Yennefer doing some training with Ciri and getting to know 
know her. Um, but ultimately, she thinks Siri has to go where she went, uh, which is uh, Aretuza, which is you know where the um, you know the it's like you know uh, Hogwarts for for grown women uh, who want to become uh, sorceresses or try and become sorceresses. And so, you know, they head off uh, either at the end of the Blood of Elves or the beginning of Time of Contempt. They head off to Aratusa, and so it's not really a great place to end the season after you had a giant, you know, Game of Thrones battle, um, maybe even bigger than most Game of Thrones battle at the end of season one. You know, the the very violent and and scary and you know. Um, uh, you know, uber sort of uh, dark and realistic way that the battle with the, with um, our good guys and the dwarves versus the bad guys I talked about with Yarpin is, you know, high action, high fantasy stuff. It's not enough to end the season on that, especially with sort of the postscript of going to the temple meeting and Yennefer, meeting Yennefer and so forth. You can't end a series like this on that. They have to keep stepping it up. Um, and it's going to be a challenge throughout the books because the pacing of the books and who fo- who you're following and, you know, are you in the present? Are you being told stories about the past leading to the present? Continues to change book to book, and that's what makes it such a re-readable um, series is every book, while they follow one to the next in the way they should, um, you know, is telling the story in different ways from different perspectives, different people, um, and, uh, you know, and makes it just you know, every book has things that the other books don't have, even though it's a five-book series. But, you know, Andrew Sapkowski, the writer, is not one to always have the giant battle at the end of each book. That's just not how he operates. Um, and so doing a TV show where you do kind of need a big climax at the end of each season with a cliffhanger, um, you know, ideally, you have to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? Um, and the way they're going to do this, uh, in my opinion, uh, this is, you know, this is my biggest prediction it, just in terms of the structure of season two. Um, I feel pretty strong about it. I have heard nothing along the lines that this will happen, but having gone through the book so many times and knowing where the big climax parts are and the big cataclysms, as I call them, are, you know, the big nexus, nexuses of, uh, of power, destruction, coming together, breaking apart, whatever happened. Um, I, I feel that, well, they won't do two books in one season. They are going to go halfway through the time of contempt. And, um, I'm going to talk more about this in a future podcast because um, my other predictions already went uh, much longer. Um, but, you know, in, in chapter chapters three and four of Time and Contempt are the key chapters of the series. Um, and what happens is, for the first few chapters, uh, Geralt and Ciri and Yennefer are at Eretuza, you know, with the sorceresses, um, or they get there, and they're sort of relaxed, and, you know, they, they let their guard down. And it's represented best in a really, really memorable chapter three where Yennefer takes Geralt to the first sort of big official dinner with all the politicians who were there and all the mages and sorceresses who are there. And there's leaders from the north and advisors to leaders from the north like Dijkstra. Um, and uh, you've got Tasaya, you know, who trained Yennefer, who's the, the rectoress, the head of, of Eretuza, and you've got um, Philippa Eilhart and all these other enchantresses who are super important, good, bad, and otherwise, um, and political leaders. And, of course, Geralt absolutely hates it. There's not enough food for him. It's too fancy. He's hungry. 
everyone's politicking and trying to get you know information out of him and he's just so annoyed and only wants to do is spend time with Yennefer um and, and Yennefer's actually very patient with him at this point because she you know is proud you know that they're together and and is cool that it's public and it's the first time he says I love you to her and it's the first time she says it back it's a big moment and you're thinking wow this is great everyone's getting together and the, you know this the magic folks and the political folks and you got you know Geralt representing the witchers um and uh and also sort of side note representing you know the dryads of just nature in general through just who he is um and who he's allied with and you've got Yennefer everything seems great and then he has a talk with the sorcerer the young great looking sorcerer who keeps popping up and seems to be everywhere important and always on people's lips and no one can point their finger on it with Vilgefortz and uh, Dijkstra, who is the top advisor to one of the northern kings, um, but he, the northern king uh, at this point, um, from, I think it's Tamaria, um, uh, one of the more important northern kingdoms, um, is essentially the ruler because, uh, the, the, the father who was the king, uh, you know, is dead. And so it's one of those, you have a caretaker of the throne, uh, until that, um, you know, uh, uh, prince or I guess king in the waiting is old enough and mature enough, uh, to become, uh, the king. And he... <laughs> he's a complicated character, Dijkstra, uh, or Dijkstra, I have to mention, though, because he tells Geralt, be, watch out, that guy Vilgefortz is going to talk to you at some point tonight, and we don't know what he's about, and he keeps coming up, and, you know, there's something weird about him, and Geralt's like, oh, no, you know, he doesn't care about me, I'm sick of talking to all of you, I just want to go and be with Yennefer, fuck all this, um, and of course, Yennefer can read his mind, and Geralt gets mad about it, but, you know, it's mostly love and positive thoughts about Yennefer, so it's, you know, it's not so bad, and, and she, of course, you know, enjoys that he's so madly in love with her, um, as she should, and as he should be, um, but what Dijkstra says happens almost immediately thereafter, where, um, no, you know, he runs into Vilgefortz, or they go outside or something, and it's just the two of them, and Vilgefortz, you know, starts his charismatic, uh, smiling self, but then goes deeper and deeper into his past and telling Geralt how dark it was and how evil his parents were and, uh, where his magic comes from. And, you know, he starts really ripping into Geralt for, you know, speaking in, in platitudes and half-truths, which of course is what, uh, um, Vilgefortz is doing is, but you know he puts it all on Geralt, and then he does the hard sell on Geralt, which is the "come join me." He doesn't say what his plans are. He doesn't even say who he's working for. But he's basically like, "I've got plans. I'm the most powerful guy here, and uh, you, you should really come join me while you still have a chance." The Witcher, of course, says. Uh, tells him to fuck off essentially um and that is that um and that's chapter three uh the big um you know ball uh, dinner banquet whatever you want to call it it's re very reminiscent of in dune halfway through uh or no less than halfway th halfway through the first of the three 
books that make up the first book of Dune, whatever you want to call it. Act one uh, is the big political dinner where we have the Atreides who are still in power on Dune uh, slash um, Arrakis. Uh, but you have all these people from the Trade um, Federation or whatever they're called in the different houses. And it's a very long political chapter that's very Game of Thronesy. Um, you know, Game of Thrones took a lot from Dune. And, you know, it's it's obvious that the, the Witcher writer did as well. Um, and it's sort of one of those, you can tell politicking is going on, but you don't understand to what level. Now, now I mentioned in uh, prediction number three about the politics, that there's, in the Blood of Elves, there's a, a, at least a couple long scenes of the kings and queens of the North politicking um, and talking about, you know, the situation. And the two things they basically decide on is Siri has to be killed because she's dangerous. And if she's still alive, she must go so that they can take over Sintra and expand their lands. And, you know, and just one more, uh, you know, possible, um, uh, not enemy, but, you know, uh, w- one possible source of trouble gets Siri out of the way. Um, and the other one is let's manufacture an excuse to now go after Nilfgaard after they uh, unsuccessfully attacked us. You know, they don't mention that the, the, the good sorceresses left, le- led by Triss and Yennefer, Triss and Yennefer saved them and not that they didn't save themselves, but now they're going to manufacture a reason. And this is revisited in book two as well. Um, they're going to manufacture reasons to go after Nilfgaard. And what Yennefer and Geralt don't realize is that uh, people like Dijkstra and some of the uh, other sorceresses, um, uh, like uh, Tasaya, who runs Eretuza, um, and some of the other uh, some of the other sorcerers, uh, excuse me, some of the other sorceresses there, like Philippa Eilhart, um, who's kind of Dijkstra's pet sorceress slash love interest, at least in his brain, uh, you know, but she, of course, as usual, she's using him as much or more than he's using her, but a bunch of them f- find out or suspect heavily that Vilgefortz, uh, and some of his people are actually working for the Emperor of Nilfgaard and are there as, at best, spies, but probably saboteurs, assassins, and so forth, and they have to go, and so there's a putsch, as they call it, there's a coup, starting in chapter four, and it takes Yennefer and Geralt totally by surprise, Ciri's already left the campus, you know, she's always physically and mentally off the reservation at the wrong time, uh, Yennefer runs after Ciri, tells her to get the hell out of there, um, and, you know, Yennefer's gonna p- protect, you know, her, her departure to the extent that she can. Geralt, of course, is going to do the same, and everyone kind of gets separated, and, you know, it, it turns out that Vilgefortz was actually an agent of, uh, even though Vilgefortz, you know, led the, the defense in the Battle of Sodden, as we saw in season one of The Witcher, he was, he did it as a, um, uh, as sort of a double blind, um, a double agent uh, m- maneuver working for the Emperor of Nilfgaard. Um, but what they don't see, uh, the people I mentioned, Dijkstra and Philippa and so forth, who go after uh, uh, Vilgefortz and the Scoyotile, who I mentioned, the sort of e- the sort of evil roguish elves and, and, and you know some of Vilgefortz's people, but Vilgefortz is at the top. What they don't realize, and what the em- the Emperor doesn't even realize, is that Vilgefortz has been working for himself the whole time in terms of power. Um, which it should be mentioned, the reward for you know infiltrating and ruining the northern kingdoms from within uh, 
which is worded here temporarily, <laughs> that the emperor promised Vilgefort basically to, to rule the north, uh, you know, under the under the aegis of uh, of the emperor, but you know, to be sort of the you know mini emperor of the north. Vilgefort doesn't care about that. He cares about Siri like everyone else, and wants the power of the elder blood. And so it turns out that he's working at, at for himself. And Vilgefort does get away. He is injured. Um, uh, somewhat badly on his way out by, I think, Siri or Yennefer. Um, let's see. Let's see, Vilgefort confront Geralt. Uh, Siri's there in the tower. Vilgefort repeats his offer to Geralt to join the quote-unquote willing side, winning side. Geralt refuses. Um, Geralt gets his ass kicked. Vilgefort's actually used as, like, a staff. He doesn't even use, like, a real weapon. He beats the shit out of Geralt. Doesn't kill him. Um, and then he enters the the Tower of the Gauls, which is important, uh, we'll say for later. Um, and Ciri escapes through an ancient magical portal, um... And uh, it collapses the tower and leaves Vilgefort's face badly scarred. So this, you know, beautiful young charismatic mage is now fully evil and is going to look evil as well. But it's too late for the good guys at this point um, because he uses good looks, charisma, charm, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, manipulation, uh, superpowers, or whatever you want to call them, to get to this point. The whole point being is everybody's wrong or unaware. The real good guys, Yennefer and Geralt, and of course Ciri by extension, have no idea that any of this is going to happen. And Dykstra and Philippa and their and Tessaia, um, who, who who go after um, who go after uh, Vilgefortz, um uh, you know, you know, they think they're going after Vilgefortz because he's an agent of the emperor. When they should be going after uh, Vilgefortz because he's an agent for himself, who's more dangerous to the emperor. We learn shortly thereafter now that um, you know the emperor now understands that Vilgefortz is no longer his guy and never was. Um, sorry, I need to take that back. Tessaia sides with Vilgefort. So Tessaia has sided with Vilgefort at the Battle of Sodden, which they show in season. Uh, it's very smartly. It's very quick. But, you know, when Tessaia in episode 7 and 8 of the first season on TV, uh, Netflix try, is con- trying to convince her former student, um, uh, Yennefer, to join their cause in defending against Nilfgaard. And, you know, this great-looking mage who seems like a good guy who came out of nowhere at the time, Vilgefortz, and Tessaia says, I'm going to join Vilgefortz. And so, you know, up until this point when the, the coup happens in the middle chapter of Time of Contempt, chapter 4 again, um, you know, it has... Uh, D- defends Vilgefortz even further because the, the other mages that are there are supposed to remain neutral, um, like Philippa Eilhart and so forth, um, or Yennefer. Uh, and uh, let's just say, not long thereafter, when Tessaia realizes how very wrong she is, um, she does not think she should live anymore um, and does something really bad to herself. Not that much longer after this. It's very quick and very sad. Um, but, you know, this is exactly, exactly the place to end. 
the season. And I'll stop here because, you know, not only is there huge battles with weapons and magic, you know, across all of Eretuza and the island and the bridge and this beautiful, crazy, um, you know, magical kingdom, <laughs> mini kingdom or whatever, and the Hogwarts for, for adults. Um, but this is when the heroes are scattered. So you end with a giant battle, full reveal of Vilcafort's, how powerful he is, that he's working for himself, that everyone is going after Siri for different reasons, that the political folks, uh, you know, again, are going to try and manipulate war against Nilfgaard, that, you know, Emperor Mir, who seems to have everything going his way and have Vilgefortz on his side, never did, and Vilgefortz has much bigger plans. And on top of everything, and most importantly in terms of the cliffhanger, is the heroes are scattered. Ciri goes again off into the woods and, and on her own. Geralt again gets injured. You know, Yennefer disappears. Turns out she becomes a, a prisoner later on. And this is where, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go into books three and four yet, but it's hard to know what they're going to do with Yennefer after what I just described in the middle of book two because she only comes in and out very irregularly. But as one of the main three cast with the amazing Anya Chalotra um, and just the, the love of Yennefer and the fact that she's considered one of the mains um, through all lore um, by fans um, old and new, they're going to find ways to, to work her in and see her more episode to episode. Um, I just don't know how, but this is exactly the way to end it. Um, you know, this is the, you know, it's like you can't do this in movies, like Marvel movies, but, you know, imagine if, you know, Avengers 1 was a two-parter and it ended with the helicarrier scene where, you know, the Hulk destroys everything, tries to kill Natasha, and Loki manipulates everybody and ejects his brother and, you know, to- and... Uh, the helicarriers, you know, crashing towards the ground before Cap and Iron Man start working together to save it and before the Avengers come together in the Battle of New York. It'd be as if you stopped it right there, which you can't do in a movie, um, usually, um, unless it's, you know, Infinity War Part 1 and 2, the final Avengers movies, I suppose, um, like a two-parter, you know, ahead of time, um, uh, or the Empire Strikes Back, which very specifically was supposed to be all. I mean, that's the that's the comparison here, and I'll let you guys go. Is Empire Strikes Back? This is, you know, is you know, if you just do the Blood of Elves, you're doing a New Hope. Star Star Wars: A New Hope, and the good guys are kind of winning at the end, seemingly, like when they destroy the Death Star one at the end of New Hope. But if you go through one and then half or a little bit more of Book Two into the coup that I'm talking about and Vilgefortz being uh, uh, unmasked and revealed as the real big, big, big baddie. If you hadn't figured it out yet, is like the Empire Strikes Back, you know, Han Solo and the Carbonite, Han, uh, Luke o- almost dying against Vader, mentally he's traumatized, learning it's his father, barely getting away, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's exactly the way you want to end the season. And it's actually the best cliffhanger, even though it's in the middle of the second book. If you make this a cliffhanger, it's the best cliffhanger that I'm aware of uh, in the entire series, if they do it that way. Now, the end of book four has a pretty awesome uh, battle and cliffhanger uh, leading into the final book, Lady of the Lake. I also want to point out, um, if this seems like a lot for one season... Uh, in terms of material, I do want to point out that, you know, the final book, Lady of the Lake, is extremely long. It's like f- almost 600 pages. But every other book, including the short story books, The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, are between 350 and 400, with very big print. 
um, as opposed to most fantasy and science fiction books, which are like twice that length or more with tiny print. And so if they're able to do eight episodes working in so loyally the important stories in The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny for a combined, you know, 800 pages or whatever, then doing the 350 to 400 pages of Blood of Elves and then half of Time of Contempt, which is, you know, 150, let me see where the, the coup actually goes to. I got the book right here. So the coup chapter, chapter four, um, starts on page 153 and goes to about 200. So you're still a couple hundred pages short of the combined page length of the short story books that made season one. Meaning, if they can make 800 pages work in eight episodes of the first season with so much introduction and ground to cover, then a character-building book like Blood of Elves and then a crazy action, cataclysm, set piece with the heroes scattered with the beginning of Time of Contempt, you can certainly do, especially if they go 10 episodes, which I think they're going to and I hope they do, not just eight. They, um, and, you know, people, if they haven't read the books in particular, their minds are going to be blown, even if they've started suspecting who the good guys and bad guys are. Other than Vilgefort, after that coup, uh, you know, we're rooting for Jennifer Geralt and Sarah but we don't really know who the good guys and bad guys are. We thought Tosiah was a good guy, but she sided with Vilgefortz, and we thought maybe Philippa was a good guy. It depends, you know, how you feel about, you know, actively working against Nilfgaard, and, you know, maybe Nilfgaard is, is actually not worse than the Northern Kingdoms, which are plotting to do also horrible things to Ciri, potentially worse things. The Emperor wants to marry Ciri, which is gross, because this is daughter, spoiler alert, um, but he certainly doesn't want to kill her, um, whereas the Northern Kingdoms just want to murder her, and take over, you know, her kingdom uh, of what's left of Sintra. Um, kill the poor lion cub. They've got no shot at that. We'll get to that later. So um, I'll end there. I could talk about this subject forever. Maybe I'll do a separate podcast. I know it's super long, this last one, um, but, uh, you know, I thought it was important to get this on the Z record um, because this is what I would do, and so far, Lauren Hisrick, showrunner, and her team has shown exactly the material to take directly and the material that needs to be modified and what even to add occasionally, or, again, like the Battle of Sodden at the end of Season 1, show us lore that's not directly in the book but is referenced in the book and happens that way. It just isn't you know, it's described that way in the book, like the way we see the Battle of Helm's Deep in Two Towers. Um, but here they, they gave it to us in Season 1, and thank God it was glorious. And it's just going to be more glorious going forward. So hope you enjoyed this. Hope you and yours are doing as well as possible, given the situation. Um, I'll be coming back at you with more Witcher stuff soon. Hope you enjoyed my first top five predictions. Um, uh, I'll come, I have some more predictions coming up and I start the Witcher book club with my friends who are starting to work their way through the books. I, if you're here this long, I've hoped you've at least read the first and or second book and get through the whole series. It's worth it. It's going to be so long for the next season and they're going to have enough new surprises, you know, that, you know, unless you really want zero spoilers, it, it's worth reading the books. Um, but if you want to wait, then wait and read the books afterwards. Uh, but I, I truly believe they're the best fantasy books ever written. Um, in, I'm a Tolkien guy through and through, love Lord of the Rings. Uh, but for a modern sensibility, you can't beat these books um, with how relevant the, uh, the political situations are and how relatable the characters are, even this bizarre fantasy scenario. So thank you again so much. Coming back at you soon, may the force be with you. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out.